This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I deconstruct the past few episodes of the HLP Neutral Interlude, review the limited edition Truly Hard Seltzer Holiday Party Pack, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. <laughs> I got to ask, were you, were you spooked when I said boo? Yeah. <laughs> you just couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe that I'm going to reference that it's Halloween on an episode that's going to come out two weeks after Halloween. Yeah. You know, I, I was more spooked by how many takes the intro took this time. Uh, yes. It was a spooky affair. Could be a poltergeist in the studio. Who knows? There's definitely a poltergeist in your vocal cords, that's for sure. All right. Well, the first one wasn't my vocal cords' fault. It was because I was moving my hands and I almost knocked over a big thing of dice. So, I mean, it's also my fault, but, yeah, yeah. but, um, third time's the charm. Maybe you're a poltergeist. Oh, no. Maybe I am. Is this some sort of, uh, sixth sense situation you're like a, you're a poltergeist straight out of 2008 that's why that's why this whole twilight thing is like felt like home to you interesting and weird nobody talks to me except for you <laughs> quick check my back see if i have like five gunshot wounds or something yeah we have we have one of those like really special microphones to record you <laughs> <laughs> we really have to like tweak it it sounds like whispers in the and a creaking house it's, it's a creaking house we really make you sound good in post yeah you need to uh, edit out all the chains rattling <laughs> and uh wolves howling in the distance when i speak yeah it's, it's really tough to get you to stay in one place when there's a lot of things around the room that you can move yeah i think the biggest problem is that I, after a while i start sinking through the floor <laughs> to the first level of this building <laughs> that's why we have a mic in the bathroom downstairs too <laughs> <laughs> just pick off where i left off all right he's coming through loud and clear in the bathroom we're good we're good Keep going. we can do another 40 minutes all right the listeners will be mad if I don't say it. So, and we're back there. I did it. Okay. We checked that box. Griffin, what are you drinking today? I am having a Alani seltzer frozen lemonade. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Alani, a brand that has really made its presence known on the HLP this past week. We're, we're all about it now because right now I'm drinking an Alani new. It's an energy drink with 200 milligrams of caffeine. Found that out after I was halfway done with it. So this is going to be an interesting episode. And this one's called Cosmic Stardust. Guess the flavor. Grape. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's called Cosmic Stardust. I guess the can's purple, but no indication of what the flavor Haley is. Haley passed it over to me to try it because she had opened it. Mm -hmm. And I took a sip and I was like, you're going to hate this because <laughs> this is yeah. just grape. <laughs> Haley does not like grape. I guess I'm drinking this third hand. Third hand. Well, we each had a sip. Yeah. It was Haley's. It went to you. Now it's to me. And it's actually really good. I mean, I'm not going to say that grape's my number one artificial flavor, but I'm fine with it. Well, Haley and tried to a... pass it to me mm -hmm. like 95% of the way through a bang. And I was oh. like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Save oh. it for Steve. <laughs> oh, no. 
Jesus, man, your heart would explode. That's too much. Yeah. This is 200, bangs 300. That's trouble. Yeah, I had the bang, and I was like, listen. <laughs> I know you're after my inheritance. <laughs> hey, man, maybe, maybe she just wants another ghost on the show. Yeah. There you go. All right, well, I know it's been spooky in my life. It's been spooky in your life. Let's talk about what we've been up to for the last little while. Griff, what's going on in your life? Let's see. I just got one of the new MacBook Pros, mm. so I've been messing around with that a lot. I was really excited because this is like, I want to say it's the last time I used a MacBook Pro was in college, mm-hmm. and I switched over to Windows, and back when we started the podcast, I was kind of like, oh, it'd be really cool to like get another Mac because I know they're really useful with all of the kind of creative software that we end up buying and using. Yeah. Uh, And there's a lot of kind of Mac specific or maybe not Mac specific, but Mac optimized um, creative software for video editing and that kind of stuff. But back when I wanted to get one, everyone was bitching about the keyboards on them, (laughs) how they broke Mm -hmm. all the time. And then, uh, and then Mac came out with their own like silicone and like their own chips. So they're no longer Intel. Um, it's, it's like a Mac chip. Mm -hmm. Um, and they came out with those last year and it was too soon for me to get one last year because I had just got the like PC that we use for streaming and all that shit and, and, you know, gaming PC. So like, it's not like I don't love my gaming PC, but my laptop's now like eight years old and it was time for an upgrade. Oh, is that it sitting right next to you? I didn't even notice. Mm -hmm. That looks pretty slick. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I'm excited to get to, I kind of bought like the super souped up one. So I'm excited to see what it can do with like Pro Tools and that kind of stuff. So, and you mentioned video editing earlier. Are you teasing the HLP feature film? <laughs> yeah, feature, feature length film, mm-hmm. uh, Poltergeist 4. Yep. <laughs> Starring you, actually, you know. Yeah, it was a crazy battle to get the rights, but somehow we got Well, them. they were like, you have an actual Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten them to show up on film before, so. It's pretty cool. I'm getting residuals from the original now. Yeah. Yeah, they did ask, like, if our house was built on an ancient Indian burial ground, and I said, no, I, I think but Steve But the city's just, called Columbus. Yeah, so but it's maybe. called Columbus, so maybe. But I think Steve just kind of drifted in on the wind one day. Mm, yeah. Um, Fair. I think you came up out of, like, a parking lot or something, so... Uh, yeah. Actually, you know what? Uh, I think you died on that high ropes course the first uh, the first week we met at, <laughs> in that team building thing the first week of work when we worked together. I think I remember that. They were like, oh no, one of, <laughs> one of the new hires is hanging up there on the high ropes course. I mean, I'm glad you remember that because that was our tandem exercise, which yeah. was the... Ex- we told I we must have told this story on the show that the two of us did a tandem <laughs> ropes course like the first day that we met each other. I don't know and that like, we did. I don't know that we told anybody. Man. Yeah. Was, well, we did. And uh, it didn't turn out well for you, but it didn't turn out well for either of us. The whole time you're complaining about how you had to take a shit. I did have to take a shit. Uh, but no, I mean, it didn't oh, turn I'm, out well for right. anyone, but you died. So. Right. You had to take a shit and then I just died. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, not a great day. But here we are. But it had worse. <laughs> had worse. <laughs> Before and since. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I've been doing a bunch of. Um, and then obviously, geez, what we do in the shadows just wrapped up. I keep talking about the show. If you're not watching that show, you need to watch that show. Mm-hmm. The third season was crazy. And it like 
until Haley told me that they were renewed for a fourth season, I was worried. Ooh, because, no. Yeah, I was worried because it seemed like they were wrapping shit up with the end of this season, which, uh, you know, please don't because the show's so good. Uh, and then Doom Patrol had like the most wild episode I've ever seen this past week. So for the first time in a while, I'm watching stuff as I think Doom Patrol actually has like a weekly release. So mm-hmm. I'm actually like watching that and what we do in the shadows, like as they release instead of like completely binging a show. I think for certain shows that works really well, I prefer it for certain types of shows, stuff that's a little bit more episodic. I feel like I don't mind the weekly release and that it gives me something to look forward to. Case in point, I think of like the Mandalorian where you have like a tight story that wraps up in 40 minutes or so, but then there are important things that carry over week after week to keep you coming back. But then there's stuff that's just totally, it feels like they cut off episodes arbitrarily and they're just like made for Netflix or Amazon where you just basically binge the whole thing in one day. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't say either of those shows are that way. That's good. I think they both work episodically. Yeah, what we do in the shadows definitely works. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I got to, uh, it was Allard from the Dice Crisis' birthday Yeah. Um, this past Friday, and Jason ran us through a level 10 scenario that he made up. Okay. Another bank-related thing. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and I got to play a fake wizard character that was so much fun to play. It was a, um, a fighter with the rogue and scroll trickster dedications. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like pulling scroll. I spent 500 of my level 10 gold on scrolls and was just pulling scrolls out of my pouch, casting more spells than our casters. That's amazing. It was really fun. And he was like, he was super knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And I took the fighter feats that I feel like people don't often take, like, there's a level one fighter feat where if you attack somebody and you hit, you get a free knowledge check on them. And I if like you crit, that. you get a plus two on your knowledge check. I can definitely see that getting overlooked with a fighter right, not you being your knowledge base class. But, but I that's had, cool. I was at least trained in every type of knowledge. Because you rogue stuff probably, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that rocks. Yeah. So nice. it was it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. And I think we had three partial or full swashbucklers oh in God. the group and then Eli played a ridiculous bard <laughs> and it was really fun did the people know that you were not a wizard I didn't tell him what class I was Hell but yeah. but it was it was one of those things where he shows up in full plate yeah <laughs> like uh, something's going on something's here. going on yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I I got the the juicy uh, pit crit <laughs> cast power word kill <laughs> killed the thing amazing it was very fun. So that, that that's what I've been up to. You've been a busy boy. Yeah. As for me, I got a couple shout outs here just nice and quick. I finished season three of Slasher on Netflix. I didn't quite love it as much as I did the first two seasons. I don't think the first two seasons were Netflix. They were somebody else. They were like a Canadian channel or whatever made mm-hmm. them. And then Netflix picked it up for the third season. And it was fine. But I don't think it quite lived up as well. But anyway, I digress. I was looking for more slasher television, and I saw that the Scream show is on Netflix. Yes, it is. I've seen ads for that. My God, let me tell you. So first of all, I do have a history with this show. I tried to watch it when it came out. I watched like the first two episodes, and I was like, this show sucks. Uh It was the product placement is so over the top. I was 
taping it, I think DVR style, off of MTV, and there is music constantly through this thing, Griffin. And I remember, like, the thing that really pissed me off was that anytime a song would play, and the song's like a kind of a little too loud, um, because, you know, MTV, and they would hit, like, this bar would come across the bottom of the screen that would say the name of the song, like, to promote it oh within God. the episode. <laughs> it's shazamming itself. Yeah, it was shazamming <laughs> itself. It was egregious. But anyway, I thought back and I was like, you know what? That kind of sucked. I'm going to I'm going to give it another shot because, you know, why not? And I, I'm going to I'm, I'm saying it right now. I'm almost done with the final episode of season one and scream. The TV show sucks, but I love it. OK, like, well, yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of that's the kind of response I would expect from you. I would say that I've watched maybe 15 minutes of the first season sober and the rest I've been like kind of messed up and I've been having the time of my life. Hey, it's great. Some shows are great for that. It, and, that's, and and that's what is. I would recommend Ash versus Evil Dead for. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the show Stone Cold Sober, but I could see that show being way fun, mm -hmm. uh, being a little buzzed. Oh yeah, I tie a couple on and uh, and watch Scream, and I don't really like any of the characters, and it's all kind of over the top and goofy, and I was just having a good time. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been up to. I've also watched a movie on Netflix called The King, which King. is phenomenal. I watched it because Robert Pattinson's in it, but it's two and a half hours. So what I did was I cut it in half. I watched like the first hour 15 and then the back hour 15. And I think that actually works really, really well for this movie. Basically cut it into like two movies that work fairly independently themselves. And it's the story of the death of King Henry IV, I believe, in England. And his son, Henry V, takes power and is immediately beset by the French. And then it is a movie about his war where he goes and lays siege to a bunch of castles and then goes to fight the French and, and win. But no, okay, well, maybe a little bit of a spoiler there, but uh, I mean, it's history, like this happened. A historical spoiler, yeah. <laughs> sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, but it is phenomenal. The way that they portray medieval combat is fantastic. Because they're all like knights in shining armor, right? With big quotes on there, but armor's very heavy. So like when the knights are fighting either one-on-one -on -one or in big groups, like you hear people panting and like you can watch their swings get lazier as they're getting exhausted. Oh God. Have you ever seen, like they do that as a sport nowadays, like full armored combat. Yeah. And it's like, nobody is just swinging a sword yeah. at somebody in plate and like downing them. It's, no. like, a, it's like a half hour full on like I'm taking my shield and beating the shit out of yes. you with it. <laughs> yes, there's early on there's a one-on-one -on -one fight and that's kind of what it comes down to. It's down, it's dirty, they're rolling in the muck trying to pull daggers on each other because like to work yeah, in to, between like, the in, armor yeah. plates. So the way I feel that this movie portrays medieval combat is miles better than what I feel like most like middle age movies or shows portrayed as this big kind of romantic heroic thing like or this like is dudes that were going to combat without a fucking helmet on yeah like, that would never happen if you're in, yeah. if the rest of you is covered in plate armor right right so it's a lot of stuff like that it's fantastic the story itself is amazing the acting's great uh robert pattinson does a french accent so that's worth your price of admission alone does he do it well uh, I thought it was good. Somebody that speaks French on our Discord said not so much. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I th I thought it was great. 
He's not in it that much. You know, he's only in it a little bit, but he really does shine. Those are my two big things for this past week. That's what I've been into. You know what? I, I got the unique pleasure of being the only one of our little group of friends to have seen Weird Science. And you oh. all watched it the other night. Uh, oh, <laughs> that was so much fun. That movie is so ridiculous. I thoroughly had a good time. Does it age well? No, no, no. no, it no it did not, did not However, well. is it a wild 80s? I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's insane. It was a good time. Again, <laughs> you're stewed. Yeah, you got to get stewed for it. Uh, Go into it like I go into Scream, like, uh, and then just just be prepared to uh, have it suck and love it. (laughs) All right, Griffin, we got to get to the meat of this episode right now. So because I'm just drinking this here, um, this here energy drink, let's get into these Trulies a little bit. How about that? All right. So we are recording this on Halloween, and like about a week or so ago, I noticed that we are starting to see festive Christmas-themed seltzer packs in the grocery store. What the hell? Christmas is coming earlier and earlier every year. When do you like to start decorating and getting ready for Christmas? Ooh. Decorating? Ooh. Probably, like, that first weekend in December. I know a lot of people love the, like, get your tree up on Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. or whatever. I'm not about that. I think you and I both working in retail, it's kind of like the... So jaded. It, well, it's just, yeah, like the the time after... The, the four days after Thanksgiving are kind of just, fuck. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> and so, like, I don't ever take that weekend and decorate or any of that. So I think I think first weekend of December, maybe, like... Yeah, I, I give or take that some days. It's just whenever I feel ready, but it's going to be within those first two weekends of, of December where that's when I'm going to start listening to Christmas tunes or at least not bitching about them when they come on. That's when I'm going to start maybe doing a little decorating. But uh, I guess truly thought it was appropriate to drop a Christmas pack of hard seltzers in October. So we need to determine whether or not this is worth Christmas coming this early. Okay. So here's what we got. We got four new flavors. Pomegranate ginger fizz. Cran Orange Sparkler, Spiked Apple Spice, and Holiday Sangria Style. Holiday Sangria is fuck. <laughs> yeah. So here are my thoughts. First of all, I'd like to say that neither of us have tried either of these yet. Mm-mm. So this is going to be all brand new. We're going to rate each of these flavors on the below scale. This is from worst to best. And the scale is how early does Christmas come? Does it come the night before Christmas? 12 days before Christmas, like the song? Does it come on Black Friday? Did you just take down your Halloween decorations? Or are you looking for a Christmas in July? Would you be drinking these all year? Let's find out. So I'm going to start with the Cran Orange Sparkler. I'm going to take a sip of this, and I'm going to pass it on over to Griffin. Cran Orange. Mmm. It doesn't really seem Mm. like a... I'm going to smell it first. Mm. Okay. It doesn't seem like that's so much of a Christmas flavor. I mean, maybe the cranberry and they're trying to get a citrus in the pack. That's, that's kind of my thoughts. You know what? I'm going to give this a Black Friday. I think this is a perfectly serviceable seltzer that's a little different than everything else out there. I'm not going to go out of my way for it, but a three on a five scale is... Right down the middle? Yeah, I'm going to say just took down the Halloween decorations. I think that's not... Oh. 
I think that's not Christmas specific enough for me to not enjoy it during the summer, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that if it's supposed to be a really Christmassy flavor, I get it like a really holiday flavor. I yeah. get it and I understand, but I think that's better than just a holiday flavor pack flavor. I think that I would definitely drink that outside of this pack. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I don't know that it quite belongs in a Christmas pack, but it's decent. But Can says, and I'm going to be calling these out. If Can says, light it up. Light it up. Yeah. What do we have next? Ooh, we're going to go for the pomegranate ginger fizz. This can says, jingle and mingle. Jingle and mingle. I like that. Okay. Oh my. Now well, that shit. now that to me is a little bit more of a Christmassy flavor with the ginger in there, but uh, shit, I'm almost tempted to go Christmas in July. I was gonna I say like I that. love that. That's that really rocks. good. That's yeah. surprisingly good, and I I get the Christmassiness uh-huh. of it without it being like a ginger snap <laughs> fucking yeah. seltzer. You know what I mean? Which we've had before with varying degrees of success. I think that's I think that's pretty crisp i think the ginger makes that nice and crisp the pomegranate isn't much to write home about i think i think it's it's really mostly ginger but yeah i think the pomegranate does a good job of just rounding off the ginger spice yeah yeah i agree with that we don't need the uh, biting we're not drinking ginger beer Mm -hmm. you know this just kind of helps mellow that out a little bit for casual consumption and it's pretty good I'll say the only thing I maybe dislike about it a little bit is that I kind of get like a stickiness to it. I Mm. think it more than the other one. I feel like this one's going to sit in my mouth. Potentially. Yeah. I also have my concerns about trying to drink a full can of it. That could be a lot, but first impression check in later in the episode. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think, I think Christmas in July for me too. Okay. We're going to move on to the spiked apple spice. This can says, Spice, spice, baby. Okay, so I'm very interested to see how Truly does with this because there are some other. I think uh, even Bud Light has like the crisp apple or something that's Which pretty good. Top tier, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I think it's very strong in the beginning, but that back end is not good. I had to go back for seconds on that because. Hmm. Where where I think the Bud Light one succeeds is that it almost tastes like a like a cider to me. The mm-hmm. and this tastes like a really weak, like almost green Jolly Rancher infused cider. It's like yeah. it's got that strange Granny Smithness to it that I don't really love when they're trying to make it like a holiday beverage and not like a natty daddy green apple. I think independently, if you chopped this in half and had like a prominent Granny Smith green apple seltzer Mm -hmm. or some sort of just go balls to the wall Christmas or pumpkin spice, I think those would be more successful on their own. This combination to me doesn't really work. Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree. I'm going to say 12 days of Christmas on this one. Likewise, it doesn't really work for me. Not really, but... I'm not grossed out by it. Like, I don't. No, hate yeah, it. I'm not. I I'm not gonna it. spit it out, right? Yeah, I could drink one of those. I'm not gonna drink all of them out of the pack, probably. No, but this one, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> this is the sangria. This is our final seltzer of the night. It says, "Serve cold, get warm, holiday sangria style." 
Now, if this is a good sangria, Haley's gonna want one of these. She loves sangria. I'm not the biggest sangria fan in the world. Yeah. Let's give it a shot here. Huh. Huh. I kind of like that. It's a sweet sangria. It reminds me of eating the fruit out of a sangria. More so than like drinking a sangria itself. Sure. Sure, I'll give you that. It tastes like maybe the apples that somebody sliced into a sangria. Mm -hmm. And when you eat one of those, you get like a tiny bit of the wine and a tiny bit of the booze. But it's more so the fruitiness. Yes, the booziness is turned way down, which is which I'll say is it's good for a seltzer, yeah, and, and consistent across all four of these flavors. Yeah, none like, of these are boozy at all. You are you are not tasting much booze at all, which is fine. If that's which what I you're mean, that's for. that's kind of polar opposite of all these alani. Oh yeah, <laughs> they're, they're a little boozy, so they sure taste to be so. I'll go middle of the road on this. I think yeah. this is a Black Friday, and and that might just be due to my preference. Like I, I'm not super into sangria. Although I really do like the fruitiness of it. Yeah. I'm going to say again, because this does something different and executes it actually quite well. I'm going to give it just took down the Halloween decorations. What's keeping this out of Christmas in July for me is that I don't know that it makes enough of a Christmas statement. Like if this was bigger, brasher, bolder, it's missing that that spark. I think there's something more that it's missing, and I don't know what that is. I think I would say for a holiday pack in general, this is missing that. It's yes. this this holiday pack, I'd say four perfectly drinkable and some mm-hmm. above average seltzers for sure, but none of it screams Christmas to me. I agree. You take off the Christmas branding and just have this be a weird pack. Maybe that's why they put the Christmas branding on there, because they had four good flavors they didn't know what to do with. They all on their face sound like something that could be related to the holiday season, mm-hmm. you know, but I just don't think the flavors are really. Yeah. All right. Well, overall, where do you think you would put the, the combination of these four? I think it's quite good. I think yeah. it, it gets a demerit for me because of what we just talked about, though. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it should be branded as a Christmas pack. Does not fulfill the promise of the premise. Right. That doesn't mean there isn't good things in this pack. And that's why I'm going to give it that just took down the Halloween decorations. That's a four out of five. I think that even might be a little high, but because each one of these is pretty unique and even the weaker entries here are pretty fine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's nothing in here I hate. And it's kind of <laughs> new. The, the so funny I'll, thing I'll give it is a, it doesn't it fulfill the promise of the premise, but I think this is legitimately the best Christmas branded pack in terms of flavors. Oh, well. Last year's Bud Light Ugly Sweater Pack. I don't come know, on, man. man. I don't know. Oh, come on. That fills the promise of the premise, but there's some... I think I think this year has kind of ruined all of it for me. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, did you want to give this an overall rating? Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think took down the Halloween decorations might be a little strong, but I'd say this is an above average pack, so that's what I'm going to go with. Great. Hey, we're holding hands here. Now, uh... Which two do you want to drink over the rest of the episode? You know, you seem to like the sangria more than me. Yep, um, I'll take the sangria. So you take the sangria. I like the orange, mm-hmm. so I'll take that one. I okay. can take the orange and the apple. I really didn't mind the apple. Okay, yeah, I was I was pretty anti-apple. 
which means that I also get the pomegranate ginger fizz, which I think I think that's the best I, flavor. Yeah, I think that. I came out ahead. I appreciate that from you, Griff. I'm really going to enjoy drinking this over the next uh, hour or so. I finish my uh, lemonade first. <laughs> I also have not finished my flavors. energy drink, too. So got that going on here. Well, as we start getting into these, we're going to start talking about the neutral interlude a little bit. So let's get into it. We're going to be talking about the last several episodes. Um, last time we checked in, I believe we were through episode 165. That is part one of the Whalebone Pilk fight. And after episode 169 drops, that is in the belly of the whale, is when this episode drops. So those are going to be the episodes that we talk about. Meaning that we're starting with episode 166, Harry Me With Guns. So a lot going on in this episode. This was the conclusion of the fights with Whalebone Pilk. What was he in the book and what did you remake him as, Griff? Oh, boy. <laughs> we did touch a little bit on some of his special abilities and stuff in the show itself. Mm -hmm. We, we got to talk about this, dude. He's wild. Yeah, so in the book, he's actually like a third party creature, which is really weird because it's mm -hmm. in first party material. But like he's a, I, I believe he's called a breathtaker and he has like a fighter level or something. Uh, and they're like an incorporeal undead. Mm -hmm. And he's like CR six or seven because it's a book two bad guy. Fair, yeah. So he's obviously very changed in this. <laughs> uh, I started building him as what's known as a pale stranger, which is an undead that is a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. And they have these magical guns that they utilize. Uh, when they wield guns, they can't misfire and they don't have to reload. So they're very strong as a gunslinger, you know, it dual pistols. And I tried to bring some of the flavor of the original Pilk into him, mm -hmm. which you see in when he like reaches out and points a gun at Igmer. That's actually the, his original steel breath ability. Sure. Which is brutal. It's like a couple fortitude saves, but like you take con damage the first time. The second time you take con damage and your hit points drop to zero. The third time you drop to negative one. And the fourth time you die permanently. Oh, so this is an ability that the creature may have actually had that was reskinned for the new, uh, exactly. new flavor. Yeah, oh, sure. it was, it was reskinned and I raised the DC to be appropriate for like a, you know, a level 11 party. Right. So I reskinned that ability. He was an advanced pale stranger. And in the original whalebone pilk fight, there is a uh, scrimshaw kind of nailed to the mass mm -hmm. that's like a whale skull and it has a bunch of spells in it sure and so i had it cast airwalk and true seeing on him and he i think the only other thing i added was to him i gave him better guns so i gave him like plus two distance pistols instead of plus one pistols mm -hmm. so like a plus one to hit and damage and then uh, it doubled his firing range because I knew, like, at level 11, you can really get a lot more distance uh, yeah. <laughs> your party. And I still wanted him to be a threat. It's also a ship-to-ship -ship combat, so inherently, at least in the beginning, you're going to have some pretty decent range between the two parties. I think that's yeah. very apropos. He had what I thought was really cool, which Pale Strangers just normally get. It's like a stranger shot, which instead of taking this full-round attack... He can really line you up, which he did, I think, the first round of combat against Durin, because Durin was up in the crow's nest, mm -hmm. and it doubles his touch attack range. Woo. So it, do it doubled, they were distance pistols, so it doubled it to 80 feet. And he, with that, could, um, if he hit, 
he dealt an additional 66 damage on his shot. I remember recording part one of the fight, and then we cut it halfway through, and Brooks and Emily and myself left, and we're in the car, and we're about halfway home, and I'm like, wait a second, gunslingers can't do any of this stuff. Does Griffin even know how to play a gunslinger? What the <laughs> fuck's going on? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, the distance was crazy. You were hitting targeting touch from very, very mm-hmm. far away. Five shots without reloading. Damn. That's something else. Yeah. It was challenging. Yeah. Once you had let me know after both of these episodes were recording that this was a pale stranger, I took a cursory glance at the stat block. And I love that a lot of the abilities that are tied to, or I think it's how it, you can keep firing without reloading and shit. The ability is just called pistol. Pistol. Like, <laughs> oh, on. yeah. It's like the pale stranger. Pistol. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go, to, go down to special abilities and it's just pistol. And right, it's all the, all, the, ability. Yeah, all the special stuff he gets with it. Objectively with hilarious. Guns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the only additional thing he had from that template, so obviously he had those two spells cast on him. He was an advanced pale stranger, and I might have given him a couple feats. I know I gave him a ring of evasion because I knew he was going to disappear, so you guys aren't yeah. going to get the loot because that's a pretty sick item, you know, like a 40,000 gold item. It's no joke, yeah. But yeah, so everything had evasion, which I thought was interesting in that combat because I knew it was going to be a reflex save heavy combat because of the troops Mm -hmm. and because you have a wizard full caster, you have a oracle full caster, you have an alchemist that can throw bombs. So I knew it was going to be like three reflex saves around. And so the evasion was really to kind of try and give these things a little bit of lasting power. And I think it worked. I mean, I think it was I think it was appropriately terrifying when he took out your stone skin in like two rounds. It was a challenging encounter. I would say that if that weren't the only encounter we did that day, that would be very terrifying. Right. And I, I wrote it knowing that, too. You know, you really got to especially with these homebrew things. I feel like a lot of times I'm doing like a set piece encounter, like you're really only going to have a dungeon slog in the very last part of this where, you know, I'm obviously not going to be doing CR 12 and 13 encounters over and over and over again. It's going to be more like, here's a CR 10, here's a CR 10s in a row, then you get your 13 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this one was a tough one. We were all feeling it, but we succeeded. He slipped back below the waves and our crew went over to Shark Isle to meet this Captain Sora Nash. The episode pretty much ends with us meeting his buddy Jabberjaw and then going inside and starting a conversation with this captain. This captain, where's he from? Is he out of Skulls and Shackles or just referenced in there? So he, to the point we got to, he had not arrived yet. Uh, We were Mm -hmm. most of the way through book four. I believe the entire pirate council shows up at the end of book four to see your progress. Uh, Again, minor Skulls and Shackles spoilers, so I apologize. But you're supposed to like clear up an island and mm. then have the pirate council to the island for a banquet to check out your progress. And he's on the pirate council, so he would show up at that point. But I think he's only really referenced as a member of the pirate council in Skulls and Shackles. I don't know yeah. for sure. I haven't read books five and six. Sure, sure. Okay, so that pretty much wraps up episode 166. We're going to transition on over to episode 167, Lie Lie Captain. So right off the rip, we get a bunch of exposition. We learn about this lich, Rags Mauda, 
And we learn that her island, Ragsmauta's Reach, is the Moon Isle referenced by Sawyer and Anya and all of them. The Pirate Council does not like Ragsmauta. We find that out. And we find that she is a former scholar of the Golgon Empire, who is a lich now. Basically, we need to get there because we think she can help bring Sawyer back. But one thing stands in the way. We don't know how to find this island. Sorinash, though, does. He's got two things we need. A map to this moving island, quote unquote, because it seems to move around. And a person who has been known to have survived Ragsmauta's attack previously by her pirate ship called the Nigul. Mm -hmm. I think that's correct. Yep. This person is a recently turned werewolf named Elizabeth Asher. Now, how are we going to get to Elizabeth Asher and the map? Well, we got to play a game. We're going to play Liar's Dice. And the backbreaker, the ship is the collateral. So I got questions here. Sure. Why did you want to play a dice game? On top of the dice game that we're playing already. I wanted to play a game. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. When when I'm writing stuff, I try and incorporate a lot of different things mm -hmm. in like, you know, skills challenges and actual combats and you guys are at a level where it's hard to throw something like a, a puzzle or or that kind of thing at you that you can't just bypass with magic. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, you know, let's actually play a game then, um, which you could use skills to, you know, I guess catch Soranash in a sleight of hand or something. Or to cheat on your own, which you guys didn't end up doing. Too scared. <laughs> but I thought that would kind of be like a skills challenge that was also just another game that we could play. So, yeah, that's why I did it. I enjoyed it. I was also incredibly stressed that whole time. This was no gimme. We really thought we were going to lose basically the whole time. And I know... Listening back to the episode, I am the biggest Debbie Downer in the group. Yeah. But I think you guys but. realized quickly that I had stacked it against you from the start. Oh yeah, because <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't like a one v one. It was a one v four, where he could call you out at any point. Right. And you wouldn't want to call each other out, and so it it became like a we gotta strategize so that the person that goes before him can either bet something really high that we all know we have or and then he has to either double down or I guess call them out for something that you guys hopefully have yeah we got about halfway around the circle the first time before I think most of us realized like oh shit this is gonna be tough but we did pull it off although I think you gave us lots of leeway to do so yeah <laughs> uh, I got a question what would have happened if we lost because these are plot important pieces that yeah. we need. First, you would have had to figure out how to get another ship, mm -hmm. which I think the clearest path to that is probably, well, hey, we'll join you and help you take down another vessel. And if you if we do, you know, you can keep all the treasure. We keep the vessel or something mm -hmm. just so that you have a ship. So we would just actually have to be pirates. Yeah, you'd actually have to be pirates for a little bit. Nice. Or... I mean, I think you would still be able to talk to Elizabeth Asher without her, like, joining your crew. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think you just would have spent a lot more time at Shark Isle, which would have had implications for how Moon Isle is going to go. 
Right, because we are on a clock. Mm-hmm. Don't want anybody to forget that. That's kind of why we fought Whalebone Pilk in the first place. Right. We're trying to move as fast as we can. So we'd have lost valuable time. But we don't have to worry about that because we ended up winning in, I believe, the very the final very last round. opportunity to do so. And we headed out to find Rag's Moutish ship, which brings us to a heartbreaking episode. Episode 168, Rag's Mauta and the Backbreakers. Themed after Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers because my heart was broken <laughs> when my favorite ship got destroyed. So let's start from the beginning. Elizabeth Asher tells us of Rag's ship and how it has Hope Vanishes written in Gold Gone on the side. We'll later use that to sort of communicate with her. Asher has been studying the Golgon Empire and knows of these things called Devil's Arches. Two of them are somewhere else in the shackles, but it is rumored that Rags Mauda has a third one on her island, which is a portal to hell or some sort of infernal forge. Uh, Rags Mauda also knows what caused the downfall of the Golgon Empire, although we don't know this at the time, or rather what that is. We just know that she knows what that is. And then Elizabeth Asher describes Rags Mauda's attack. So... Lots of exposition up at the top, lots of conversation. It's all very cool. But then we get to this Harrow reading where Lyra is going through her regular daily preparations and does this special Harrow reading that her specific archetype, or rather, I think it's the prestige class yeah, that she has. The Harrow or prestige class. Let's her do. And it's great. And we all love it. However, when we do this, we're able to identify the fate readers lenses on the back of these cards that were given to her in episode one by a or Audivian. So, uh, how long has Audivian been spying on us? The entirety of the adventure path. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly got a gap mm-hmm. between, uh, 74 and yeah, the end, but he's, he's definitely got information on you since then. Mm-hmm. Just given the capturing, <laughs> Eclipse and Abaddon and uh, you know all the communication he's had with Vrood and Mm -hmm. his Dark Riders and that kind of thing. So this obviously is frustrating. We were talking about a little of this in the Discord with some of the listeners of the show and I said in there and I'll say it again on the show I truly just believed these Harrow cards were a MacGuffin Mm -hmm. just to like get the Prince of Wolves thing started. Get towards where Emily wanted to build her character to. And obviously we had known back then, or it was kind of indicated to us that there was more to this Harrow reader than had met the eye. But I just thought the cards were cards to move the plot around. Boy, was I wrong about that. <laughs> Can you remind us again exactly specifically what this item is and kind of how it works? Yeah, it's it's pretty much there are two sets of Harrow cards, one with a blue eye on the back, one with a red eye on the back. Mm-hmm. And the cards with the red eye on the back can look through the same card on the blue eye deck. So whenever the blue eye deck is being used to do a Harrow reading or is being shuffled through, a Divian can look through the corresponding card on the red deck and see what that card would see. So it's not necessarily that he has like a permanent scry on it right. because these cards are probably in a case most of the mm-hmm. day and only come out once a day. Would he have any indication when they're being used? Like, does his uh, red deck start vibrating or no, something? No, no, no. I don't think there is a... There's not like a clue there. I think more so like trial and error from him. But okay. he obviously was like around the party for book two and that kind oh, of yeah. thing. So it's not hard to think that he would 
kind of figure you, you know you had like a whole month in raven grow mm-hmm. so it's not hard to figure that he would uh lira usually does time. this in the morning so yeah. while i'm making my breakfast i'm gonna leave my cards out and if they start glowing or whatever right, i'll know to right. look mm-hmm. yep so yeah that uh that sucks it's comforting to know that he probably doesn't know everything it's bits and pieces mm-hmm. but it's not good yeah i think the tricky thing about that is that you've had them so long that he's familiar with at least Lyra's face if not most of the party mm-hmm. and so for the purposes of other scrying that kind of makes it a little dangerous yeah that's true that is true but generally with scrying like if he was legitimately scrying on you every day eventually you would succeed that save and be like hey I I can wait a second happening because yeah. I, I believe with scrying you can feel that you're being scried on if you succeed the save mm-hmm. so you can at least feel good that like, hey, I haven't been making any role like consistent saves. Like he's not scrying on you every day yet. Yes. And I know you're not rolling those blind saves because you don't look at our sheets. Right. You don't know what our will save modifiers yes, are. You'll know what I start doing that when I ask everybody for their will save <laughs> modifiers. No good. No good. All right. So I think we still hold on to the cards. We get Godfather's deck. Yeah. I, Emily did like see that coming. <laughs> I think she... Herself and as Lyra was kind of like, oh, these cards have sentimental value. Like, I've had them for, you know, the entirety of this show. I think I told her to throw them in the trash. <laughs> in the trash. But we still got the cards. We start making some progress. We see this dark shape keeping pace with us under the water. There is some recognition between Anya and Nana Opal, who is on this other ship that we encounter. This is the Nigul. We come up to it. There's some sort of back and forth that happens. We can hear, or rather, I believe, just Tulia can hear and understand the Lich Ragsmauta communicating with her whale. So we get a little bit of a back and forth there. But back to what I mentioned a moment ago, Anya recognizes Nana Opal, and Nana Opal says something. Griff, I always ask this when people show back up in the show or there's some big reveal. How much did Haley know about this? Was she ready to... No, she wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) She just knows that Nana Opal shows up in Mm -hmm. this interlude. But no, she wasn't prepared to speak there. It was funny. You mentioned like, all right, what does Nana Opal say? And I was like, oh, Haley, were you planning behind our backs? No, she didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. I figured she could say something cheeky. Yeah, she did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It worked out. So we have this back and forth. We understand what's going on. Tulia concocts this plan that we're just going to get swallowed. And we do. We are inside the mouth of Barlow the Dread. Falling in one of my favorite little beats of, I want to say like cinematography, which is not right, but it's the cinematography that's in my head of us all like falling and wolves falling onto teeth and their bones shattering and shit. I thought it was fucking awesome but we got to talk about what barlow the dread is so what is the creature how big is it and then i know it's got some fun stats associated with it so what are we dealing with yeah let me pull them up barlow the dread is a fiendish great white whale divine guardian of o's Ooh. so a lot of stuff there uh, <laughs> mm-hmm it's a colossal creature. I say this on the show that doesn't do justice to exactly how big it is. I mean, think a blue whale, right? 100 yeah. feet long. It's about as big as he is. It's huge. Yeah. Colossal 
caps out at about 30 feet across or something, mm-hmm. but this is larger. Yeah. This is much bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colossal creature. I mean, just wild. The stats on the thing. I think a, a regular great white whale is a CR 14. Okay. Uh, so this is more like a CR 16 creature. And it's just got like a 50 strength, like a <laughs> 28 con. I think it's really funny. Like its AC is 28. Its yeah. touch AC is zero. No. I've never seen that before. No. Yeah, because it has a negative two modifier to dex. And then the size penalty is a minus eight for being colossal. I had never seen that before either. Yeah. I did not know that was possible. Yeah. I just, I guess they assumed that there was some sort of defaulted down to five or something or one. No, it's but like, no, it can. Defaults to 10 and then you yeah. apply your modifiers. So 10 minus two for dex, minus eight for size, zero. It's truly zero. And then regular AC is because it has 28 natural armor. I think at that point, um, if you target touch and you roll a natural one, you should still hit. <laughs> that is so crazy. Wow. I remember we got done with the episode and the backbreaker was destroyed, which broke my heart. But I remember <laughs> you ran like those stats by us and looking at backbreaker stats, being like, wow, this ship never stood a chance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do need to. So he's got blind sight 120 feet, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, DR 10 good. He's got die hard. He resists cold and fire, uh, has all these boorish things, but he's got where's his, his capsize ability. <laughs> A creature with a special ability can attempt to capsize a boater ship by ramming it as a chartered attack and making a combat maneuver check. The DC of this check is 25, or the result of the captain's profession sailor check, whichever is higher. For each size category by which the ship is larger than the creature, which is zero, because, mm-hmm. again, it caps a colossal, colossal, so the backbreaker is also colossal, gets a minus 10 penalty, so... With no penalty, <laughs> Marlo has... <laughs> like... <laughs> just like a plus 39 Jesus <laughs> I think I was telling you guys like I, I rolled like maybe like a, a 14 or something I was like I beat the check by 40 or something <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> fucking at that point should have lift backbreaker out of the water which is why I kind of broke it in half because yeah. it's like yes it would completely capsize at that point but he's also got Smashing Breach, which I didn't pull on you guys specifically because it wasn't trying to kill you, Mm -hmm. but it can just come out of the water and land on you. Oh my god, Which does the same thing. It capsizes, it it, it can make a capsize check Uh as a part of that. And then you're just crushed under this whale. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's got spell resistance and all this other stuff. It's a pretty crazy creature. Would have been, I won't say beyond your capability to fight, but it would have been really difficult to fight this thing given how beefy it is yeah I mean the only thing I can think of is that you know Dur and Tulia fly up in the air and are kind of safe but what does the rest of the party do and this thing could just go below the water and be fine from us so like, yeah that's a puzzle I don't want to solve that sucks <laughs> yeah granted we did not have to we got swallowed by this thing we found ourselves in Barlow the Dread's stomach. There are six unconscious crew members. We are now in episode 169. They are in sight of some of us who have dark vision and are being slaughtered by four undead. There are two ship captain ghosts that appear and then a coral golem which animates. So 
this was a really fun combat for me. I know like Brooks had a tough time because he was getting walloped on, but I really was flanking him. (laughs) Yeah, real tough time. Anything fun here that you want to call out from any of those creatures that I just mentioned? Um, I mean, they weren't particularly difficult creatures on their own. Obviously, altogether, it was tough, mm-hmm. but the ghosts had rogue levels. They can still get their sneak attack off with their corrupting touch or whatever. Definitely a much more interesting combat with the threat of werewolves getting killed off in the distance, yeah. which kind of splits our focus a little bit. That kind of felt like the only thing I could really do. Like those Draugr captains, I think is what the actual stat block is called, mm-hmm. are like CR4 yeah. individually. So they're not really going to do anything against you, but against unconscious enemies, yeah, they can they can do some damage. If they can bypass that yeah, DR. Yeah, they can bypass the DR-10 silver. That's amazing. Yeah, and then the Coral Golem itself is just a CR-9 creature, but I thought a Golem would be something cool to throw at you guys. Just kind of seems a little bit out of place for where this adventure is going, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought like the Coral Golem, the idea, I really wanted to, I didn't realize there's not a shipwreck Golem in Pathfinder, at least in first party. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to throw something like that at you. But I couldn't really find a great stat block I wanted to use. And I thought a Coral Golem could be flavored that way and still work. I like the imagery of kind of like a Pirates of the Caribbean, specifically Davy Jones henchmen that are like, I remember one of them is like a fish man that has like the wheel of a ship, like the captain's wheel like mm-hmm. in his torso. So I imagine like all of the ship detritus mashed together yeah. in this unholy combination that animates and attacks us. I thought the imagery was pretty cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, but nothing crazy cool about it. It like regenerates in water, which I allowed it to do in the stomach. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's just a it's kind of a bog standard golem. Good stuff, man. Well, tell you what, we had three of six werewolves rescued. So felt eh. I wouldn't say good about that, but okay, they didn't all die. Yeah. Um, we're vomited into this underground cavern and a Frankenstein-like creature beckons us forward. And that closes out 169. I guess at the time that this episode releases, we have not released 170. 170 is one of my favorites of this interlude. I really liked 170. So I can't say anything more without fear of potential spoilers but when that episode drops on thursday i think it's going to be really juicy and there are people that are going to listen that are really going to like it i really like playing it lots of lore folks get ready (laughs) listen with your headphones in don't be doing anything else pull your car over to the side of the road (laughs) okay listener question time i think so i think so we got a bunch of neutral interlude themed questions first one's coming from 10 lawn gnomes our buddy eric what pirate tropes do you like to lean into and which do you prefer to subvert? I really like this question. I think this is very appropriate for where we are right now. And I have certainly have my own thoughts. How about you, Griffin? I think for this interlude, I wanted to lean into seafaring adventure Mm -hmm. more so than actual pirate stuff for you guys. Although obviously like there's piratey elements with the blood moon werewolves and that kind of thing. But I was just thinking of all of the tropes that I enjoy from a nautical combat and situation things like the ghost ship is such a classic, yeah. uh, which I think is why it's written into skulls and shackles. And there are so many stories about 
you know, a whale eating an entire ship and mm. that kind of thing that I just thought that would be cool to throw in there. You know, the moving island is definitely a trope that's used a lot in pirate tales, just as how something could be hidden, mm-hmm. how a treasure could be hidden. And I mean, even stuff like Jabberjaw and Godfeather, like the, <laughs> you know, the, the where pirate nautical creatures are, um, are something that's just fun and thematic to throw in. But I kind of wanted to avoid any of the actual pirate things with you guys because you're not pirates. And yes. it would seem kind of out of place for you to be doing piratey things other than a nautical exploration. Even Anya and the rest of the Devil Wolves aren't really pirates. They haven't been at sea that long. So it doesn't really make sense to have you guys plundering other ships and that kind of thing. So I just wanted to avoid that. Yeah. I've got some very specific thoughts on this as well. I think we're pretty much in line here. What I really was hoping that we would lean into was the cool seafaring nautical stuff. Your interesting terrains, ship versus ship combat, fighting in a storm, the ghost ship, love it. Leaving the vessel and going on to an uncharted island. Like that's all very cool. These are very adventurous, fun things. But none of them really cross over into what I was worried about. And that's like kind of the cliche or almost cartoony aspects of pirates. I wanted us to be pirates in the way that pirates actually kind of existed. Not the like, yo ho ho and like cracking jokes about like, what's a pirate's favorite food? Caviar. Like that would feel really out of place and... If somebody came in with a character that had like two peg legs and a hook hand or somebody had a character that was like was mute and their bird talked for them, like I wouldn't like that. It doesn't fit our story. And frankly, it's just kind of cliche and played out like I don't I don't don't I'm a full grown ass adult. Like I'm not going to laugh when somebody talks like a pirate. I think the fun of it is that Nautical adventures have such, I think you said it a lot about almost every combat that we've had so far in this. It's very cinematic. Yes. The, the things that happen in a nautical adventure, I think, are easy to picture in your head mm-hmm. because they are common tropes. The fight in the storm is such a common trope. Like even stuff like the whirlpool and that kind of thing is like a, a very common thing that you see in pirate stories. And I think it's really hard to achieve that effect in a generic fantasy story. Yes. Just like I'm not trying to really bring horror into this pirate interlude Mm -hmm. because it doesn't work well with it. It, Horror and pirates and high sea adventure don't cross over a ton. The scariest thing that you see is like a ghost ship, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, maybe a pirate's curse, right? But the horror is very firmly over in Ustalov. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I, I didn't want to try to bring that over to this because I just don't think it would have worked well. No, it, it wouldn't have, but I think we're doing it in a way that it doesn't feel like it runs counter to our flavor or our story. Like I think if we did make it more cliche and comedic and it felt like Pirates of the Caribbean, I think a lot of people would be like, okay, this is kind of fun, but what the fuck is this doing in this Carrying Ground podcast? Right. But because, 
you know, we still have fun episodes and do goofy shit and have like a couple goofy characters in there. I still think it works really well because we're not really changing who we are. We're still taking it very seriously. We're going to have a little fun along the way, but it's not like a blow off joke for 10 episodes. Well, I mean, I think you're going to hear in, in the next episode specifically, but you've, you've already started to hear it in the lore dumps that this is not only tied to the Galarian lore very specifically, but it's also tied to the lore of the story, like the Mm -hmm. story we've been telling very specifically. And I'll say, especially after 170, really doesn't feel like a departure from the show because of everything that's tied into it. Yes. So even though it's not horrific, it's still carrying crown. Hell yeah, it still feels like us, which I like. I think we did a good job so far. Yeah. All right, next question from Jason. What's your favorite shanty? Do you have one, Griffin? Favorite shanty? Um, I've got an answer, so I'll just go and you think if you like to. I remember when the game Dishonored came out and it had a phenomenal trailer. And in the trailer, there's like a child singing an old pirate sea shanty it's like the what do you do with a drunken sailor Mm -hmm. what do you do that has always been my favorite sea shanty i love it and it's fantastic yeah i was gonna say drunken sailor is a great one Mm -hmm. i know that like the wellerman became pretty popular this Mm -hmm. past year or two i like barrett's privateers i don't know if i know that one i probably heard privateers we'll listen to it after this are you not gonna sing it for me no i'm not gonna sing it for you (laughs) All right, we'll listen to it after this. Speaking of which, do you have a favorite nautical-themed movie or video game? Oh, my goodness. Um, I just think it it hasn't been done that much in video game. You have the one Assassin's Creed, Black Flag. Uh, You have Sea of Thieves. Mm -hmm. There were a couple Pirates of the Caribbean games. There's a couple of the... um, What were they? There were a couple really good pirate games... A long time ago that were like oh shit I can't remember the name of them there were like four of them um, I have no idea video games for me 100% is Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag yeah I don't think that any other game ever has nailed nautical combat the way that they did it's also pretty much copy and pasted into Assassin's Creed Rogue which eventually got ported over to the generation of xbox one and ps4 i think and if you liked black flag and rogue slipped by you because it was for the wrong console year or whatever check out rogue rogue basically does what you liked again it's very good but boy yeah just cresting through the caribbean in black flag your pirates are singing all of the shanties that we just talked about you broadside with the cannons it don't get better than that it doesn't yeah yeah i mean i think in terms of games in general, obviously I loved Skulls and Shackles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, taking a bunch from it, and obviously the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are are just classic for this. Yep. Um, I kind of enjoy. Well, okay. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to bring in some Muppets Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. We'll see when we get there. Okay. Wait, like into the story? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I've actually never seen that. You haven't? No, oh, I haven't. it's my favorite Muppets movie. And my favorite interpretation of Treasure Island. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, we'll watch it. That movie used to scare the shit out of me as a kid because there really? was like 
There was one scene, I can't remember the guy's name, but he presents the black spot, mm. which is like the yeah. pirate's mark for death or whatever. And he's like, he's blind and he's like searching around the tavern for, uh, for Jim, who he's supposed to give it to. <laughs> and he's like, he's just like creepy as shit. And he's like, he's just like, he's walking around this tavern like a fucking zombie, like swinging his <laughs> cane around and, and looking for him. And he finally like hands it off and he's, uh, I hate it. Some about it freaked me out. And, right. and the, um, intro like, Ooh, they, they do, they do a shanty at the beginning, but all of the evil Muppets are creepy as shit in it. Oh God. It's uh it's, it's one for the books. I love it. And obviously, um, you have Tim Curry in it. Who's Long Great. John Silver. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I'll throw a, a little, a little uh, special mention for season one of The Terror. There is some nautical stuff in the beginning. Also, the first half of The North Water, which I talked about a few Zones of Truth ago. Awesome. About of this time period. Pirates. Well, not pirate stuff. Just like whaling and sailing. Besides that, I don't know that I have anything that really jumps out at me. Ailstorm. Favorite uh, oh, yeah. pirate-themed uh, anything. <laughs> we haven't listened to enough Ailstorm for this interlude. I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, we switched all our drinks to rum, and we didn't start listening to Ailstorm. Big shock. All right. Next question. Um, a username, which I probably shouldn't say on the show, but it's Discharge McGee the Milky and White. Will there be a good interlude? How about a lawful and chaotic interlude? I think the main story is, in very big air quotes, the good interlude. <laughs> <laughs> the good interlude where two of the characters are good. Yeah. I mean, this was the neutral interlude because it's because of that very reason. It's like you have Anya who is evil. It's about Saw who is evil verging on neutral. Mm-hmm. And you have a bunch of characters that I think range all over. What's Durin? Is Durin? Durin's good. Durin's good. I don't know if Lyra is still good. Igmer's good. good. Tulia, I think, is chaotic good or chaotic neutral i feel like i remember both of the girls having neutral characters i could be wrong about that i'm willing to be corrected but i thought they were both neutral it feels more neutral to me because it's like it's not fighting the whispering way and it's Mm -hmm. not being the whispering way so what is it it's somewhere in the middle yeah we're in the middle i don't think we're doing good stuff i don't think we're doing bad stuff yeah we're just doing stuff that uh advances the story but yeah i guess to build off that probably not (laughs) i don't don't think there's (laughs) this was just a cheeky way to name it you know what i mean because we already did the evil interlude i think a lawful interlude is exactly what people that's what pablos and pals was wasn't it (laughs) what (laughs) the the chaotic interlude that's chaotic for sure yeah i guess we could uh good revisionist history say that that was the chaotic interlude (laughs) the siege engine interlude Amazing. All right. Next question. This one's pretty much for me. So comes from Tilda. How come a choice of alchemist for Rook? Did it feel weird to be the only one coming in with a brand new character? All right. First, I will address the choice of alchemist. So I'd mentioned before on this show that I built this character, or at least started building this character a very, very long time ago. And at the time, I was trying to think of what would backfill Matumbe well. So we pretty much had all of our other bases covered, but we're missing a ranged option at the time. You know, you still have the rest of the party. You still had Eclipse, Ikmer, Lyra, all there. So our range wasn't that good. 
And if we lost Matumbe, you need somebody that can do skill checks. So I wanted to still do something intelligence based, but I wanted to do something a little bit more complex, something that I can really dig into some crunchy rules. And frankly, I had played an alchemist before called Rook. I played him at level three, completely different character, just a basic standard vanilla alchemist years before the podcast. I think it was a weird weekend where like Brooks was GMing Tim, myself and Emily through something. I can't remember what it was. It was in their old apartment, but I rolled up a level three alchemist and really enjoyed it. And I called him Rook. That just kind of stuck with me. I wanted to build out a character and actually play an alchemist. So I did that. He is a grenadier for those of you who haven't picked up on that yet and focuses really heavily on the explosive missile discovery where basically you're attaching all sorts of crazy shit to a piece of ammunition or a weapon and then using it. So I really had to dive into the specifics around managing that action economy and learning all of the different types of alchemical substances and explosives and powders and all of the different things that you can put on a piece of ammunition and purchasing those things and knowing what they do. It's not simple, but it's fun to play. Like it really had to learn new stuff. It very it feels very much like a like a utility belt kind of thing, like Batman's utility belt. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're kind of just like, oh, I have this for this situation. Like I I grab a bunch of holy water bombs. I yes. grab a bunch of I have my acid. I have my fire. I have I got dung grenades. Yeah. Void bombs. Yes. So what I really enjoy is that it is a build that fills kind of the same role that I left, but in a better way, like the intelligence based character. But I'm also filling other holes in the party. Yeah. Matumbe in combat can be a little one note. Like you said, Griff, this this character is a lot more utility. There's a lot more. Yeah. To do with and it. I think the, the issue with Matumbe a little bit in the party is that from the beginning, Emily has been playing a full divine caster Mm -hmm. in both senses. She replaced her previous full divine caster with another full divine caster. And so Matumbe's actual casting ability doesn't come up that often. It's most often just like, okay, I have a couple like level two or three buffs that I throw on myself. And it's not like the crazy shit that uh, Lyra or Freya is throwing out because they're at this level tossing out six level spells or whatever. I think in a way, until I took the dips into Investigator, he suffered a little bit from being the jack of all trades, master of none, right? Divine caster, but not as good as Lyra. Melee build, but not as good damage output as Eclipse. Can kind of absorb some damage, but not as well as Ikmer. So like, he did yeah, it's kind, kind of, of weird that like but he- But didn't do anything well. I mean, now he's got the best book in the game, so. Hell yeah. Throw the book at him. Throw the book at him. <laughs> now I'll be confident, at least a little more so. Yeah. So my basically long answer to a short question is that I wanted to do what I was doing before, but better, have more utility, fill holes. And I think I would have accomplished that if I brought this character in. Now, for the second part of this question, did it feel weird to be the only one coming in with a brand new character? I really would like to say no, but that's not true. Over the last year or so, I've introduced a bunch of new characters on this network. Vec on Bestow Curse, Tago and company on Link's Legacy. But every time I've done that, 
it's been at a table where everybody is playing new characters and I have not had a problem at all. I know there were some people at this table that were very, very stressed about bringing in brand new characters for Bestow Curse. And I was fine with it. Honestly, from day one, I was good. I was ready to rock and roll. No stress whatsoever. New show, who cares? I'm good. But for whatever reason, the first few episodes of this neutral interlude, I had a tough time with it. And I don't think I expected to. It was tough because I know that this is an interlude and it is not just going forward. So I'm kind of trying to cram a lot of exposition and stuff into a small amount of time so that he feels like he's part of the universe. And if we never hear from him again, a story was told, whether or not that was the full story, at least it would feel satisfying. Like, I don't just want him to be a flash in the pan that people forget about. This is a character that I care a lot about and has cool backstory and I think a cool future. I don't just want that to go away. And so I've, I felt a lot of pressure going into this to achieve those things, whether or not that pressure was real or just pressure that I'd put on myself. So I, I was stressed and had difficulty like RPing because I was feeling that stress. And it's I've gotten better, but I'm still not good with it. So like I said, I'd like to say that this was very easy for me, but it wasn't because I was playing at a table with people that have great backstories and have um, explained them on air and have been playing these characters for a long time. Even, I mean, Tulia, we've seen for 12 plus episodes or whatever. Yeah. So it was difficult. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. It was surprisingly difficult considering that I had played new characters in the recent past and hadn't have a problem. But you know what? I'm a fucking human. You know what? It was it's been difficult, but it's been getting better. Well, so. it's, it's tough, too, because a lot of it is like, okay, Brooks and Emily are playing two characters that have been around for three years. Mm -hmm. In Brooks's case, I think his best character that he is the most comfortable playing. Oh, yeah. And so that's tough to RP with against, too. Like when you when you have a brand new character, brand new concept to RP with uh, someone who is, and this is no no knock against Brooks, he's brilliant as Ikmer, but like he's so comfortable as Ikmer, it's hard to like initiate that when he can just dip into Ikmer immediately. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And I mean, the same with Lyra, it's very much like, hey, I played this character for a year and a half, and so I can I can like I can sink into it easier. I can I can definitely tell like with you and Haley, it's a thinking thing. I mean, you're both like really thinking about okay, each interaction. How do I develop this character a little bit? Whereas they're like our characters are developed, so we I mean we can just kind of naturally yeah. have these interactions. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you've picked up on that a little bit too because I definitely have felt that similarly to how Brooks and Emily play these characters. When I play Matumbe, like I can joke oh, dude, and, yeah, fine, it's like, and I'm, it's it's cool because I know that I've had years of character development and hopefully we'll have a year plus of character development to go with him. With Durin Rook, like I want to make sure that every interaction counts because we may see 10 episodes of him and then may never see him again. You know, it's a lot like a character coming into like season three of a show. Yeah. You know what I mean? With, with like an established cast. And Absolutely. I think that's, even with a change of setting, it's difficult to bring that character in in a way that makes them as beloved as the original cast. Yeah. And I think that's that's where it, it gets tough because in every other instance that you're talking about, everyone is on the same exact playing field with these characters. And in this one, 
we have radically different levels yeah. of comfort with the characters. So I, th- I think you've been doing a great job. Oh, I nice. just think it's one of those scenarios where I knew this was going to be like, fuck, bud, we haven't had a chance to bring in a backup for you ever. <laughs> so like this is this is the time. That's something else that I wanted to touch on. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to fit it into this question. Frankly, we're running out of runway. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a very good chance that Matumbe's story wraps up soon, potentially. I mean, think back to the end of book three. He almost got trapped in a soul gem. There's a very real chance that he could die or get removed from the story in a way where bringing him back is neither feasible nor possible. And if that's the case, what if that happens the week before the book six finale? Do I just not show up? Like, <laughs> right. So I think what we're doing is very important, if for nothing else, because we are running out of time to establish people that can be introduced naturally into the show. Mm-hmm. So, And I think you're right. Like At the level that you guys are, you're, you're about to have the ability to cheat death. Mm-hmm. But, but you're fighting all of these crazy undead mm-hmm. things that certainly have the ability to cancel that. Right. I can't count on that. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I'm, I mean, I, depending on what happens to Matsumbe, if he dies, I don't want to tell the fans that beyond a shadow of a doubt that he would want to come back. There's a chance that the way his story develops, I might tie off everything that I want to tie off as the player and I might get it in my head that this character achieved what they wanted to and has found some other greater purpose in the beyond. Yeah. And I don't want to ever say that, like, it's possible to have a satisfying death. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. like Lyra's didn't feel super satisfying because it, it just felt like, bam, wow, shit. That wasn't mm-hmm. that wasn't supposed to be a crazy encounter. But we got so much more from Lyra after that. If Matumbe were to die to the boss of book five and like be the reason the party survived or something like that's a satisfying death. Yeah. Like sometimes you just got to let a character go out. I agree. I don't want to say he absolutely would come back if given the chance to be resurrected. I don't want to say he absolutely wouldn't. I think we would have to to see. But that brings us back to our original point. Like we, we got to be ready for that no matter what. As deep as we are in the show, I really don't want the random... 12th level adventurer yes coming and and hanging out with the group and so i would much rather try and connect these people in some way before they get brought in yes and that's what we're doing and i think it's working out that was pretty heavy i don't know that tilda you were looking for us to get heavy on that one but here we are i'm not gonna lie to anybody listening so (laughs) We're a little deep into this episode, so I think we're just going to go with one final question. This is also neutral interlude themed. We're going to go out on Viber S, or maybe it's Vibers. I'm not quite sure. Let me know. But uh, what exactly were you trying to do with that blowhole? Yeah, we don't have Brooks here to come. I mean, I don't have a fucking clue. (laughs) Go into the blowhole instead of through the mouth. Yeah. He's trying to enter the whale in a way that wouldn't hurt him with teeth it's a colossal whale like the blowhole probably is is decently sized could he get in the blowhole probably i think there was a grave misunderstanding of whale anatomy yes does the blowhole lead to the stomach i don't think so <laughs> don't think, maybe i'm wrong i don't know i could be wrong but i don't know I don't a lot about so. whales 
Listen, it's all it's all a little bit nebulous, the inside of this creature. Okay. Oh, boy, that was a fun moment in the show. Brooks is like, tell me about the blow. I think I'm going to do it. Like, and everyone at the table is like, and he like oh, he hold on. pulled Lyra into it. He's like, I'm going to grab Lyra's hand. I'm We're going to the blow hole. Uh, I think you're just going to go into its lungs. I think I that's know. I think that's how it works, right? Who knows? Yeah, somebody that's better at whales than us tell us mm-hmm. where the blowhole leads. This is blowing out water, so... Air? Air and water, right? Yeah. Kind of a mixture. It's like a spray. Because well, a whale's a mammal. Like, they yeah. don't breathe water. No, exactly. So, but I wonder if I wonder if it's like expelling anything that might accidentally... I think it's just expelling anything that would accidentally get through. Right. Like, I imagine you've got these lungs full of air and... Who knows if any of this is correct, but it's going underwater. So water might be getting in its lungs and it's like coughing it out. Like, right. I don't know. Or like a, a similar process so, to clearing, some, clearing yeah, stuff. It's, from it's exhaling, right? Yes, it's definitely exhaling. Is and, that much and, we know. And blowholes don't have like a sphincter as far as I know. Mm. So I maybe, think, maybe I think it just like it gets wa- a little bit of water in it. Mm-hmm. And then the whale shoots that out as part of its breath. Who knows? It's like a nostril, I think. I think so. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what he's trying to do. Yeah, you would have ended up in the lungs, which could have been bad for Barla the Dread, I guess. And you you had the, the, the lungs map ready to go as well as the stomach map? Same map, maybe. Same map. <laughs> You'd be surprised at the lack of uh, inside of a whale maps hmm. there are. I just had to look at, I had to look at, like, flesh map, I think is what I searched for that map. Yeah, the belly of the whale fight. Very gross map. Yeah, it's very gross thing. map. Very gross. Good shit, though. Check the Instagram. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, Griff, I think you survived your will save. Let's finish off these trulies. Get to finishing out the rest of this weekend. And do you have anything that you'd like to? You know what? I'm going to interrupt myself here. There is one thing in my wrap up and housekeeping section that I want to shout out. Um, you did a, a, a new little crossover with Stubborn Heroes. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, I did. I, I brought uh, Lopsock back. Uh, and this time... It's their Halloween episode for Stubborn Heroes. Uh, so they, they, they came to the right. Yeah, they, the right they asked if I would uh, reprise my role. And they did a battle royale PVP against like everybody against everybody. So it was very fitting for Lobstock to yeah. run a, uh, a tournament in uh, in hell in fifth edition. Um So, yeah, I, I came back from that for that. Uh, I didn't I didn't get to play fifth edition as Lobstock. I just kind of like voiced him as the tournament master but it was a lot of fun i believe it's their episode 37 okay i think is the correct one i think they put like the art of lobsock on the front of it so it should be easy to find but uh yeah thanks for having me on guys uh check out stubborn heroes if you have not already i'm on a couple episodes of theirs we don't interact with a ton of DD fifth edition folks but we love stubborn heroes that's a great show if you haven't checked it out yet check it out if for nothing else, just to hear Griffin goofing around his lopsock, it's a good time. And on that note, you did succeed your will save. We're wrapping this up. Do you have anything else you want to say to the folks at home, Griffin? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.